What's up, everybody? This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Jungle Television. Jungle Television is creating gourmet art and streetwear, drawn and screen printed by hand here in Portland, Oregon. This dude, Alex, is making some of my favorite designs. His uh, clothing is heavy in my rotation. If you need jackets, shirts, prints, Jungle Television has got you covered. And uh, if you use the code DCP at checkout, you can get 20% off of your next Jungle Television order. So I'll put all those links in the episode notes so you can keep up with Jungle Television. And I appreciate Alex and his support for the podcast and for creating some of the dopest t-shirts in my closet. Let's start the episode. What is happening, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Dan Cable Presents Podcast. Thank you for tuning into the program. Once again, if this is your first time listening, thanks for checking out the show. You can find fresh episodes coming at you every Friday. And if you want to help support this thing in a free way, you can do so by clicking subscribe on iTunes, clicking write a review, giving the podcast five stars, you say a few nice words, and that will help propel this thing into the tops of those iTunes charts, which will give it more visibility on the national and international levels, helping strangers find the podcast in just a great way to contribute to the sustainability of this thing. Appreciate the hell out of all the people that have already taken the time to do that. And stoked to have you tuned in for this one, episode 241, Beatmaker producer eloquent is on the show out of ontario canada um stoked to share this chat i had been wanting to chat with this dude for a while so we're gonna dig into that also want to let you know you can find the show on spotify now if that's your preferred place to listen you can give it a follow and a like there and uh listen to the the podcast on Spotify, as well as uh, follow and like the uh, the monthly playlist that I've been putting up on Spotify as well. So if you just search Dan Cable Presents on Spotify, the podcast will come up as well as uh, those playlists that I've been making. And I'll put the links in the episode notes for that, as well as my guest eloquent and uh there's a dan cable presents youtube channel that you can check out uh the vortex music magazine link will be in the episode notes so you can follow that great music publication out of portland oregon and uh what else man what else there's the uh the dan cable presents mugs are available now so i'll put that link in the episode notes as well you can also find it in my uh my link tree on my instagram at dan cable presents and uh there's like four different mugs that you can choose from there and hopefully next week i'll uh i'll post something about the the five year anniversary shirts as well that i'm stoked to share so look out for 
the pre-order on that. And uh, if you're new to the podcast and you tuned in because you are a fan of Eloquent, uh, I appreciate you checking this thing out. And new episodes, like I said, coming at you every Friday. It's usually a uh, conversation between myself and a music artist or a creative of some sort. Usually in the in the music lane, though, most of the time. And then also sometimes my cousin and I do this series called I Dig Records, which also comes out in this feed. And there's been about 12 of those now. And 13 is on its way here sometime in the next few weeks. But uh, yeah, if you dig what you hear, go back, check out previous episodes, kind of cover all genres of music here. And it was a true fucking pleasure to have Eloquent on the show for this episode of the podcast. This dude, so incredibly nice. I enjoyed this chat so much. And uh, I just thought he had so much cool stuff to say about, um, you know, his process and uh, where he comes from and how he got going and his approach to things. And we touch on some some different records of his and some different tunes and yeah, just really, really appreciated this chat and could have talked to this dude forever. And uh, I already told him I have so much to talk with him about still. And just when I had the opportunity to listen back to this conversation that I'm about to share with you, I had so much more that I want to dig into with this dude. So hopefully Eloquent will uh, will come back on the show in the uh in the future and uh we'll get to dig into more but uh like i said stoked to share this one with you and uh i would encourage you to check out the entire catalog that this dude has because it goes deep it goes real deep and uh he just put out a new record too it's called comfort food it's this uh this collaboration tape that he did with Boom Baptist and Juicy the Emissary, which is uh, it's called Comfort Food. So check out that new one as well. And uh, he's got some vinyl available, all kinds of stuff to check out. And in the conversation, we talk about Bandcamp Friday briefly. And uh, just a quick plug for what these Bandcamp Fridays are if you've heard about them and don't know exactly what it is but Bandcamp is a place for people to put their music artists can put their music up there and people can buy it from there and it's just uh, another platform outside of the major streaming services and during this pandemic Bandcamp has now done numerous Fridays um, just random Fridays in certain months where they give the artist 100% of the money and charge them no fees. So just a great way to support artists directly so that they get all of that money that you're trying to give them. So if you hear about Bandcamp Friday, you know, find an artist to support. Eloquent certainly has a bunch of music up there, so you can uh, you can support him directly. And... Uh, can't thank him enough for doing this thing. Stoked to get into it. All the links will be in the episode notes. Shoot me an email, dancablepresents at gmail.com. I'll put that in the episode notes as well. If you want to send me an email about the show, questions, comments, 
you want to submit some music for those monthly playlists, whatever it is, hit me up. Uh, find me on Instagram, Twitter at Dan Cable. All that stuff is there, as well as the uh, the information to follow Eloquent, which you should be doing. And we're gonna get into it right now. Episode two hundred and forty-one coming at you. Eloquence on the show, and uh, we're gonna kick it off with a track off of uh, that Comfort Food tape. This is one of my favorite tracks by Eloquent on that one. It's called Gobstopper. Let's do the damn thing. time i appreciate you jumping on with me to to chat it up i man i I think i had guidelines that track with odyssey pop into my new apple music when around the time that it came out it just into my weekly playlist because algorithms are creepy and they they know that i really like odyssey and uh that was my my introduction into uh 
into your music, man. So that was like right before uh, Forever is a pretty long time dropped. So I kind of went back at that point and checked out some of the previous records. And uh, yeah, I was stoked when that that record dropped and noticed that that was that was the one that was filled with the most features it seemed other than any other record that you had put out so i thought that, that was like a a cool shift in things but uh yeah man i don't know i don't know too much you know about your your background and such so i was hoping maybe we could kind of dig in from the beginning and talk to me about you know where you come from and and how you caught the the music bug you've obviously been putting things out on record for a long time at least on the streaming services there's shit that goes back to 2008 and i'm sure maybe it goes back much further than that so uh yeah um thanks for the for the introduction first and foremost um so yeah i've you know i'm in my mid-30s um you know i've been listening to hip-hop pretty much all my life um and you know i have a i have an older brother um you know growing up i mean we always we're always listening to you know the, the same stuff like i live in like i grew up in guelph ontario that's about a little over an hour outside of toronto um so beyond some of the local stuff we're mostly fed a diet of east coast music um first and foremost so everything from you know tribe call quest to to epmd to wu-tang um all that i mean that's kind of the the bulk of what you know of what we grew up uh, grew up listening to mob deep nas and then subsequently outcast and snoop and and all that um so we used to kind of sit back and watch, uh, like we had a show um, called Rap Rap City up here, which I think, yeah, and BT had one too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, we we would sit back and watch it, and in between all of the stuff that we'd like, we would kind of like sit back and, and clown all the like all the shitty like commercial or mainstream stuff that didn't really jive with us. And at one point, it was kind of like, well, it's not really productive to kind of just shit on everything all day. You know, it's like, if if you don't like something, what, what are you going to do about it? Um, so, you know, we both sort of tried our hands at rapping. Um, you know, my, my rap phase didn't last very long, um, although his did, like, to this day. Um, but by nature i've always kind of been more of a behind the scenes kind of kind of person and i've always i've always had an interest in production i mean i had no idea how to even get involved in it what it took um but you know like i always you know like my brother would be rapping and i'd be beatboxing you know that's more or less kind of the origins when I was 13, yeah, 13 or 14, but I think 13, um, I heard, I heard the common album, like water for chocolate. Um, you know, like I was, like I was, I was visiting, I was visiting my older brother, um, at his, uh, 
that got at his at the house he was renting like when he was going to university I mean I was still I was still in elementary school at the time um and and I heard that and I I, I couldn't get a few of the songs out of my head you know for days and weeks to come and like you know I went on the internet and started googling you know like how do you make beats and you know I downloaded some some trial versions of some some crappy apps uh, or programs and eventually stumbled across uh, what was then Fruity Loops. Yeah. Which I think was like version. I think they had just come out with like version two. So, you know, like they're on 20 now, which is really version 13. But, you know, I found out about it when it was at one or two. Um, you know, so I just started fucking around with it, making, making these beats that I thought at the time were next level and really they were fucking awful. Um, <laughs> but, but I mean, I was, I was 13. I didn't know better. I didn't know what sampling was. I, I didn't know how to do anything, but, you know, fill the little boxes with, uh, with notes Yeah, and hope that it made and hope that it, that it sounded good. Well, yeah, you and I are about the the same age. I'm 35. I'll be 36 this summer. So I kind of have this a similar like reference point for where you're talking about these things happening. And you know, even my freshman year of college, 2004, like Fruity Loops is still like a a fresh thing to people. And and just digital like DAWs in in general is so many people just like trying to wrap their head around like how do you even operate them. Well, I mean, consider at the time that, um, you know, if you wanted, like, if you're serious into, into wanting music, um, you had to have, you know, a thousand, like a few thousand dollars saved up for that, that MPC 2000 or that, that ASR. And, you know, I mean, I'm literally 13 years old. Like I've, I've, I've not, I've, I've never even had a part-time job before. Right. So, you know, and there's no way that I was convincing my parents to to give me thousands of dollars to buy music equipment that I might not even really use in in months, you know. But, um, you know, luckily Fruity Loops had a, they offered a trial version, you know, like you can make beats and export it, but you can save anything. So I'd sit there and I'd literally make just a single loop because like, I couldn't even figure out how to structure it into like a full two minute, two minute long beat. Um, you know, so like I, I did it, like I thought it was fun. Um, you know, like I, I was making beats, trying to impress my older brother and to his credit, he, he never lied to me. He always told me that they're trash. <laughs> um, which, you know, I, I, I don't think I appreciated then, but you know, I'm, I'm glad he did. But anyway, it's, you know, it was kind of one of those things where I'd come home after, after school and I just hop on the computer and I'm, I'm trying to make, I'm trying to make beats and, uh, and, you know, there weren't really very many like local artists who were like, who were making music in any capacity, but I came across uh, one, um, you know, dude's a little older than me. Um, like he went he goes by the name GQ styles and you know, he was probably one of the first people 
that was like in my city that I knew who like knew what Fruity Loops was, which that in and of itself was was huge. And so I'm listening to his beats and and he's using samples and I, I have no idea like how to get those sounds in my computer, but you know, it sort of gave you that aspirational thing to sort of learn how to do to kind of get on to get on that level. Um, and he was always gracious with questions and so forth. So, you know, GQ, if you're listening to this, oh, yeah. everything. Um, but, uh, you know, like I, I pull up at high school and, you know, like I'm showing some of my friends my beats and I have no idea how the fuck I did it. And, you know, and it's not like I could really have conversations with anyone about, you know, how, how it all worked. But I mean, I came across a, f- a few folks, but for the most part, this was kind of just a fun hobby. Um, when I got to university, um, again, you know, it, it wasn't really something that was, you know, that, that I gave a, a great deal of thought about, you know, it was just, you know, like it's a fun thing to do when I have some spare time. And then I heard, I heard the Little Brother album, uh, The Listening, and in the liner notes or in the the credits on the CD, um, Ninth Wonder had actually mentioned that he he used Fruity Loops to make all the beats on that album, and that maybe above everything was a game changing revelation for me, because like the the thinking at the time was that if you didn't have an MPC or you didn't have access to a a legit studio that you know you 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 couldn't make beats or if you could they're they're gonna they're gonna sound like like garbage so here you have some guy who's successful who literally just showed you yes there is a way to do it and 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 make like really good shit and and for me, that was kind of all the motivation that I needed. And I really started to dive into it and really started to to research and 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 work on my craft. And you know, you find message boards where folks are posting their beats online and critiquing each other. And you know, like it was just a new world um, that I dived into. And where most people I knew who started making beats kind of lost interest or moved on to other things, you know, a couple months into the process, you know, like I was just getting deep, deeper into it. Um, and luckily for me, the internet was going, uh, undergoing a bit of a revolution at the time, i.e. social media. Um, so in particular, MySpace was, was, was blowing up at the time. Um, and yeah, like I started posting some of my beats on there and this is where, you know, like the world really starts to expand. So now it's no longer making beats and only people in your city or your your homies or your family are listening to them. Now, like I'm, you know, I'm coming across artists in like Germany and Australia and, and Japan who all share the same passion and we're all kind of inspiring each other to to do to do better and and do more shit and 
and at the time I was trying to I was trying to sell beats, you know, like that was always the end game for most producers. Um, but what was happening was, um, you know, someone would hit me up like, Hey L, I, I really love that beat dog. Um, you know, I'll, I'll be able to pay you the, the, the hundred dollars uh, next week. <laughs> and then that next week turns into like seven months down the line and it's, Yo, I, I meant to pay you, but I I had to pay for my child support. I the, the the fridge broke down, yada yada yada. And on top of that, everyone was kind of, you know, they're asking for beats, but they wanted me to make beats, um, like other people. So it's like, hey, L, this beat's dope, but do you think you can make me something that sounds like? Uh, this Neptune's record. Yeah. You think you can make me something that that sounds exactly like this one Ninth Wonder beat? And it's like, well, you know, like for one, like y'all aren't paying me nearly enough to, <laughs> to to basically copy someone else's style, or to know? be or to be requesting any style at all at this point. They should just be saying, taking the beats that you're making, right? It's like fam, like you, you're literally trying to haggle me to, <laughs> to make you a beat for fifty dollars, and you're you're asking me to to do X, Y. Like I, I want to sort of find my own style, and um, and I would imagine that if someone's reaching out to me, you already kind of have an idea of of who I am and 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 what I do best. Um, so that's kind of what led me to um you know, discovering that there's this whole world of instrumental hip hop where, you know, I can put out my beat tapes, I can structure them however way that I want to, you know, no rapper is going to, to, to veto any, uh, any stylistic decision that I make um, with my music. And, you know, like I'm, I'm in control of, of my career, which at the time, there were very, very few producers who, um, who really cut their teeth, um, you know, without having to like to work with other artists. And you know, there's a few, but the ones that that were putting out instrumental albums, you know, whether it's Dilla or Pete Rock or so forth. I mean, these guys were known known producers who've already worked with with legends right you know? and I, I i never had that experience but but i, I didn't want to compromise so you know 2007 2008 was was a wild time like there wasn't like a there wasn't a precedent for it yet at least not not in this sort of hip-hop scene i mean you you, you kind of see that in electronic more electronic music circles but not so much hip-hop but you know myspace kind of changed everything and there's a certain power in being able to say to artists i i don't need you to to be successful or i don't need you to uh to 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 quote unquote save you know my 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 record you know like i'll, I'll be fine just without you and you know through the magic of internet uh you know like you you put out a i put out a beat tape i post it on myspace you know the shit gets like 
5,000 downloads over, you know, over the span of like a week, which blows my mind. And then the next one I do the, now it's 8,000. And then I do after midnight and that one, it's like, it's like, like 15,000, like just stupid numbers. Like who are all these people? And, you know, and again, they're from all, all over the world. And, you know, this was, this was, you know, making beats to study to and fold laundry to. I mean, this was the lo-fi aesthetic before people put a name to it, so to speak. And um, yeah, and I guess without getting into all of the details, you know, at some point, um, some 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 indie record labels hit me up and said, "Hey." Uh, we're big fans of yours. You know, we love all these tapes and everything you're doing. We, you know, we, we want to do a release with you, which, you know, people will actually pay money, you know, to you, you know, which, which is huge because, you know, beyond the occasional beat sale here and there, I mean, monetizing it was not, was not really something easily done. And you know, and with sort of every every goal achieved, you know, there's a there's a new goal at the end of it. So first it was, you know, just putting out a beat tape. And then it went, then it was, okay, well, let me try to make a quote unquote album. And then it was like, well, let me put something out so that um that's properly released. So someone looking me up on iTunes can can find it. And then it was, and maybe the biggest one let me let me get something released on vinyl you know and and then and then it was you know what this is cool but i want to be able to play in front of a crowd and then it was i i want to go on tour and and in particular i wanted to go on tour in in japan um and you know and you sort of just check all of these things off of the boxes and you know which brings us to forever is a pretty long time you know, it's like, you know what, I, every record that I do, I normally have three features on it, but, but it's, you know, mostly instrumental. Now I want to do a record that's kind of focused more on the artist and, and show folks that, you know, that I can be a, a producer, you know, and not just slap some beats on a, you know, on a, like in a digi file and, and call myself an artist so you know so that record was the one to was was the rap record that was sort of missing from my discography yeah so well that was a really long god story. damn dude that was that was uh quite the synopsis <laughs> um i mean i i have a habit of kind of rambling sometimes so um i'm about it I, I mean that makes you the perfect podcast guest i guess there's there's a lot i want to I want to go back to within that. And, and I also want to like move forward and talk about bedtime stories at, at some point too, because that's probably yeah, my definitely. favorite, favorite record that you've put out thus far. Um, thank you. Thank yeah. You. So I'm curious, did you have any like musical background at all before diving into the, the fruity loops thing? I mean, when I was, uh, you know, <clears throat> maybe seven or eight, um, I did take piano lessons for a few years. 
um, you know, like my, my older sister played piano um, and, you know, and I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. Um, and so I, I dabbled in it, but, you know, I did it for maybe three or four years, but then it kind of got to the point where it was like, okay, I should be practicing these <clears throat> these songs and practicing scales and the handwork and everything, but uh, I, I really don't want to miss Ninja Turtles on, <laughs> on TV. And I'm like, I'm still a kid at the end of the day. Yeah, you know, and and I didn't want to, I didn't want to put in the 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 time or the work. So it's kind of one of those things that I really regret. Um, and that had I've kept doing it, but again, I, I, I didn't know that I was going to end up like being a producer when I'm seven, eight years old. But, you know, if I knew then, you know, I, I never would have stopped. Like it's never too late, but, you know, just one of those things I wish that I, I would have kept doing. So I guess that was sort of my first foray into just being involved in some capacity with uh, with music but you know I didn't understand how how it would be applicable to my life I mean I didn't see myself growing up to be a, a pianist or you know or playing in a band or anything like that I just thought it was something cool to do um but uh but really beyond that the crux of the crux of it really just came from just listening to a lot of a lot of hip-hop you know like where i was going to school and most kids were you know their their interest in hip-hop lied mainly in you know like some of the more popular guys like you know like like everyone, everyone listened to Dr. Dre, you know, in seventh grade, everyone, everyone became an Eminem fan back then, you know, like I'm trying to think, you know, everyone liked the, the Puff Daddy and the family album. Right. But, you know, like I couldn't really, I, I couldn't really show up to school and have a conversation about, yo, have you, uh, have any of y'all heard that new Defari album <laughs> or yo, like that's that new uh that new goodie mob y'all i'm feeling that shit <laughs> you know like that's like those aren't conversations i could have with anybody i grew up with other than my older brother you know so for you know so for much of my up upbringing i was kind of just on a little bit of an island where beyond my brother and to an extent my older sister you know it was I had to kind of just soak it all up um, on, on my own. And, and you know, and I guess when you, you listen to enough of it, I mean, everyone has that dream of, uh, you know, of, of being like the, the superstar rock star, in my case, a rapper. Um, but I discovered very on that, you know, like writing bars just didn't, just doesn't come naturally to me like it does my older brother. Cause that was kind of always the dream. Uh, I remember in the 12th grade, 11th or 12th grade, um, uh, Eight Mile had just come out and everyone, you know, in high school just suddenly became super obsessed with, with battle rap. Yeah. <laughs> now, you know, I, but I mean, I, I was, I was, you know, 
like I was up on mcbattles.com, you know, watching super pixelated uh, real player videos, you know, watching like real player. Idea. God damn, I haven't heard that like, in a long time. <laughs> right? Right? You know, like I'm watching old videos of like Idea and Sage Francis and you know slug and a lot of those guys so you know so I'm, I'm already like familiar with it but you know obviously the eight mile movie brought like a brand new audience just to just to that world and i remember there was a there was a local event where they they hosted a they hosted a battle and um one of my buddies talked me into into signing up for it um now, mind you, I've never been on stage before. I've never, like, I didn't know how to properly hold a mic or anything like that. And my freestyle abilities were average at best. Um, but, you know, I I was fortunate enough to win a battle, but then I got, I got humbled by my homie GQ, who I told you about before. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, and after that, I, I, I was kind of on some all right. Fuck this rap shit, you know. Like I'm I'm not I'm not built for this shit, you know. After that night, so it's like, well, how do you, how do you still stay involved, you know, in, in hip hop without rapping? Well, you know, maybe, maybe this producing thing has has some potential, you know. So yeah. So yeah. Long long story short, um, I I know. guess I guess I asked about the keys thing. Um, or if just if you had any like musical experience prior to, uh, you know, jumping on the Fruity Loops, just because one of the things I noticed in your production, especially, I mean, I think it, it exists throughout your catalog, but on the last couple records and especially bedtime stories, a track like Atrophy, um, just the touch on the keys, man, is it, it has so much fucking like feel to it. And, uh, so I was just, you know, wondering if, if you attribute any of that to maybe having some of the, the piano lessons at a young age and getting exposed there. So you have some sort of understanding of, of the movements or if it's I mean, that and, would, uh, just having a good ear and doing a lot of listening and. I mean, I would like to, I would like to believe that some of what I learned as a kid with the piano lessons, that some of it, you know, kind of subconsciously applied but you know like I, I i didn't really get far enough in it to uh you know to understand or master like like music theory or anything like that you know like it, like when i'm in the studio with other other artists other homies of mine who, who really understand theory and they're talking about like diminished chords and and you know the, the C major scales, yeah. and some of the technical <laughs> shit. Like I, like it, like I have, like I'm trying to to put on the face, like I know what they're talking about, but I don't. You know, I'm so with you. Think, I'm with you. <laughs> right. So when I'm making beats, I mean, a lot of it just comes down to just trusting my ear, and you know, like I can't sit on the keys and just improvise, you know, a crazy chord progression, you know, like I, you know, I might think of one, but I'll have to, I'll have to mash on the keys and play it and fuck up and, and just go at it like a ton of times before I get it right, you know? So, 
and you know i i guess just given some of like my biggest influences like you know like pete rock and like dilla i mean those guys um a lot of their at least a lot of my favorite stuff from their catalog was very like melodic and that's something that always stuck with me yeah you know? like like i i love getting into my bag of just you know finding like a, a grimy you know italian horror movie sample um and kind of just letting the sample do all at one point you know i, I guess i kind of wanted to i guess i wanted to sort of be more of a musician than just a just a beat maker so it's like well if i can't really play the keys like like some of these guys you know i can like I've got a good enough ear that you know if you give me enough time at it, like I can I can I can figure something out that'll that'll be melodic and and it'll, it'll fit. Yeah, I also really appreciate your your use of vocals as far as them as samples and acting as instruments. Um, although you know a lot of those records up until forever is a pretty long time only have two or three features there there do there is like a lot of vocal samples that exist in you know throughout the other tunes um i think about good night on baker's dozen that's like one that i really love phases um i mean the interesting thing with that particular album is that um that one is full of songs ranging from like 2007 through to like you know 2017 ish or so 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 you kind of get like a, a a sampling of you know of kind of like the whole scope of my career so you know some some of the some of the the more vocal heavy sample cuts um like a lot of those you know i can i can pinpoint to like 2011 or 2012 or something like that um whereas some of the joints that that aren't or that i or that aren't sampled at all i mean that that's kind of a bag that i've really kind of spent the last like four or so years I get comfortable with um but you know it's like vocals are, are an instrument just like you know piano or bass or or roads or, or whatever else so you know so it it's always important to me to you know figure out a, a clever way to incorporate them um without you know i guess without overdoing it so to speak yeah um, as far as having features on tunes, are you always, 
do you always know when you're composing the origin of a tune whether it's for somebody to to rap or sing on um before you make it or or is it something that you realize over the course of developing the idea um good question good question um to be honest i I guess it depends you know if i'm if you just sit me in front of um you know my equipment and just tell me to make a beat you know I'll, i'll do it and then you know midway through or maybe towards the end of it after i hear how it's it's coming out you know i can say to myself you know what this beat it really doesn't need an artist like i like the way that it's that it sounds um on its own but other times it's like it's missing something like this 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 pocket that i've created would be great if you know if i can get whoever on it um so but sometimes like in the case of the forever is a pretty long time album i mean i knew before um before i even started it like okay this is going to be a record that that is 90% features on it so you know so if i'm making this beat that i feel so I guess if I know beforehand how I'm going to do it, it sort of alters how I make it because, you know, I have a habit of throwing a ton of layers and a lot of elements on on the beat. And if I know that someone is going to be singing on it, you know, it, it'll it lead to a, a very busy song, you know, where the artist is being overpowered, you know, which kind of defeats the purpose of the feature. You know, so basically, um, you know, if if I know that I'm working with somebody, you know, I tend to take a, a little more of a minimalist approach yeah. um, because, you know, if I'm trying to highlight an artist, like I want to highlight them and it's um, and it, it doesn't do them any favors if there's 20 different things happening in the beats and you can't focus on what they're rapping about or what they're singing. Yeah. But if, but if I know that no one's going to be singing or rapping on it, then I can really jazz it out and, and do a number of things that I otherwise wouldn't. Right. You don't have to worry about like burying the pocket for a vocalist. Yeah. And you know, and like the one thing that I think most artists will certainly early on struggle with is, you know, overproducing and and understanding when the beat's finished and that you don't necessarily have to have 800 different things going on in the song. Like sometimes, like I'm a big fan of um, the beats that Pharrell would, would make for, for the clips. Like they're always super minimalist and grungy and and just you know, by itself, like it's perfect because it's so simple and what's happening. And then, you know, you bring on Pusha T and and Malice to to just go crazy on it, you know, and there's, there's a, there's a science and and a beauty to it. Yeah, for sure. Um, Going even deeper into the, um, the feature question, as far as creating for a feature, 
is there ever a point where you like with the uh, the guidelines track? Do you know Odyssey is going to rap on that track, or do you just know somebody is going to rap on that track? And then are you like kind of writing with that person in mind? Um. Well, I guess I'll get into a little bit of a backstory for for that album. So, like you know, I knew beforehand that I wanted to do this record full of features. And so I jotted down, um, you know, just a list of a list of artists that I wanted to that I wanted to 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 bring on board, and and then you know, kind of um, sending emails, asking around to sort of figure out how realistic the feature is, because I don't want to start making a beat um, only to be told. Yo, uh, this feature is going to cost fifty thousand dollars. Okay, bro, yeah. I don't have fifty thousand. So, so if, so if y'all are wondering why Drake isn't on my record, I couldn't afford him. Um, but yeah, but I, I had a list of folks that I I definitely knew that I wanted to uh, to be involved with, with the record. And so when I'm making the the beats for it, and in that case, uh, the guidelines joint. Um, I sort of look at my list of artists and I'm thinking like, well, who, who out of this group, uh, would, would fit, would fit this beat perfectly. And so I had it to Odyssey and then there's like, uh, like I pitched it to, to Ali too, who ended up singing on a different track. To myself, I keep that's the recipe. Greediness is an ingredient to lesser sleep. Rest easy, get one blessings in the threaded sheets. Buy my book of life with lessons deep. Accept defeat as a cost, and not a loss. A pause is nothing more than a play involved in. Days are short, and when you're the sun, it's way revolves in. Let it rise in another's eyes. The death of one thing is not the total sum demise. My daughter looking at me. She the difference in me being not just looking happy. Prioritize my mortality, not immortalize. The metaphor for my methods would be my daughter's eyes. My elder told me I'm the first man that she would love. Good luck to the person that hopes to be above. I've seen enough to help me read the bluff. The beast display your lovely feast only to eat it up. Help yourself. I just mind, mind. I buy, buy. that it was going to come down to to one of the two um and you know and ali and uh, ended up choosing one of the other songs which you know it ended up ended up perfectly um so so yeah i mean i knew that this was the, the sort of beat that i thought would be perfect for for odyssey but i have to i have to i guess be realistic in the in the fact that you know, like there is a possibility that he, you know, I can't get him on my album at all, or that I send him the beat and he hates it. Because the one thing that I never, ever, ever want to do is, especially if it's like my own record that they're not feeling or that they're not as excited about as I am. Right. You know, because, you know, like the song, might, the song might still come out perfect, but I, but I would know that they don't like it. And that's, that's not something that's, 
I ever want to have on my conscience. Yeah, you don't want to have a bad feeling about a a jam that you really like that you created. I mean, I've like there's been some instances where, you know, like uh, for instance, the the first time that I worked with Ali um, back in 2013. Um, yeah, I think it was 2013 on a, a record I did with How Went and Where. And, you know, the original record or the original beat that I, I sent I sent to her, you know, like she wrote a, a beautiful song to it. She sang on it. She sent me the vocals to mix down. And I was literally working on a completely different song that I meant to be an instrumental. And, and it just so happened to fall in the same key and i thought the new beat fit fit the vocals better and so it was something that you know like i, I sent to her and i was really i was really scared because like i really have fallen in love with the song but there's a possibility that she's not gonna like it and if she tells me that she hates it i mean it's my it's my album I always have veto control at the end of the day, but if she doesn't like it, then, you know, like I'm probably never going to work with her again, you know, cause it, it's just, you know, not a good look. Um, now luckily she was, she was cool with it and so forth, but, um, you know, it's, it's important to cultivate that sort of relationship with who you work with and make sure that they're happy. So, when I reached out to anyone, whether it's Odyssey or Guilty Simpson or, or Blue, yeah, like the very first the very first thing that I tell them is that hey, like this is this is the beat or one of the beats that I have in mind for you, but I I I want you to be on board with it first. You know, we can talk about business and percentages or, or whatever after. But I, I need I need to know that you're on board and that, and that you you actually like it before we proceed, because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to read on the Internet in an interview that someone does where they're like, yeah, man, like uh, Eloquent sent me this beat and I fucking hated it. But but I, I did it for the money. Or I, yeah, I, I did it just to do them a favor. You know, that's that's not something that. uh that's not something that I ever, ever want to do. Yeah. I I think that, um, that authenticity kind of lives in the music too. When, when people are all in on what they're doing, you know, that guilty Simpson feature on thread count. That's, that's one of my favorite jams on that record for sure. Those, uh, strings in the background or whatever's happening there. Just, uh, right. that one. And, the Chester Watson one was one that stuck out to me and I feel like I be walking on air it's just something in it and I don't know what it is but it's just something missing lately I've been cruising down the path of some rough decisions I just laugh cause karma's wrath can be unforgiving people underestimate the records try to numb the feelings just know that Chester got the message from the mothership is super messy bumping smooth galepsy whip is sputtering the smoothest technique on the moon by next week watching summer and really always felt so bittersweet to me as far as
song and it would speak to me I'm just a vagabond trying to keep the peace Galactic Spartan, aura of a sleeping beast African starships roaming the skies Poetic vibes, heart steady glowing inside But stoic and shy, I keep to myself in the tribe But eloquent hit me and told me that he need me to slide I move like a spy, I feel like I'm walking on air those are a couple of people that you know were people i didn't i had no idea who they were before tuning into your record well and um and thank you for that because that that was actually the ultimate goal um you know as a as a producer you know, one of the things that I think all of us, at least the ones who work with artists, always want to do is, you know, like we like, like I, it, it's a goal and a challenge, but especially a goal to sort of break in a new artist. And so, the idea is, okay, I want to do this record with um, with a number of different artists. Now, Odyssey is the is the big name. Uh, Blue is the big name. Guilty Simpson, like those are kind of the the, the the three big names that that are effectively going to sell the record. But it's like you know, come for these three, but stay for Chester. Yeah. Stay for yeah. Lost Like Alex. Stay for uh, Saturn Alexander and folks that people might not be super familiar with. And hopefully, you know all of those all of those other guys got uh, got some new fans in in the process people that you know I love just as people and I just really believe in as artists so you know like there's not necessarily a ton of overlap between my fan base and some of theirs so you know so if someone listening to my record who knows only me you know, here's Saturn Alexander rapping about how annoyed she is and um and and says, Hey, okay, let me let me let me do a Google search and find out more about her and they come across her signs EP, which is which is awesome. You know, that 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 means the world to me. That means I, I did my job. You see, my daddy got a clock and it's always ahead of time. So I'm always on time. If I seek it, I make it mine. And I hate a late bitch. Bitch, you're with the fake shit. It's niggas always complaining, bitch. If you don't like it, change it. Life all about rearranging. Complacency can be dangerous. Gotta be advantageous and separate from the snakes. Nigga, these are the breaks. But closer to Kurt Cobain and doper than crack cocaine. Subconscious on David Blaine. Why you niggas always wildin'? Swear I really don't get it. If I said it, I meant it. Ain't lost a friend, I regret it. Y'all in the mix with no purpose. You just cool on the surface. I write my curses in cursive, cause honest modesty worthless. I don't get this. Swear I really don't get it. All you niggas pretending, I swear I really don't get it. I don't get it. I swear I really don't get it. All you bitches pretending, I swear I really don't get it. And the truth is, I'm always fucking the night. Truth is, I'm always fucking the night. Yeah, man. It's cool when, when you have some of that intention in what you're doing, you know, where it's not 100% self-serving and i gotta imagine that's like a good a good part of the outlet of of having a record that's kind of full of features or or even having those slight breaks in your your albums that are more instrumental based well i mean i don't i don't see the value of um of doing a record full of you know full of artists who 
are already established, already have all of their own fan bases and so forth. You know, like I'm, I'm in a unique position where I can, you know, I can really help out some, like a, a few lesser known artists, um, you know, and again, whether, whether I'm successful with that or not, you know, that's, that's always to be seen, but you know, it's um, it's always important to me um, to, to 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 give to give back and give um, like that record is as much about them as it is about me. Like I I just happen to be the common denominator since it's since it's my album, but I personally, when it came out, I was more excited for for people to hear the the Lost Like Alex record, for instance. And he has a really interesting story. I mean, I know he keeps it pretty, <clears throat> pretty low key, um, but, you know, he has a great story and he writes great raps. And, and you know, it was, it was personally satisfying to me when, you know, I, I sent the record to, to the homie House Shoes and, you know, and he, you know, he could have played the, uh, the Odyssey record or the Guilty Simpson one or the blue one on, you know, on his, on his magic uh, radio show, podcast, whatever you want to call it. But he, but he played the Lost Like Alex one, you know, that, that shit was more satisfying to me than, than, you know, any of the, the feedback that I got on the Odyssey one, because frankly, it, it's Odyssey. Like, yeah. He's incredible. He's, you know, he, he kills everything that he touches, Like that was never in question. Right. Right. But, but the excitement of finding a new artist that you're either not familiar with or know very little about, and you walk away from it being a bigger fan, that that means way more to me than, than, you know, the, the praise I got for, like for the Odyssey song, as much as I love that song. Yeah, no, I I feel you, and I mean, it was it impacted me that way, you know. Where if I'm digging into somebody's record and there's a feature and there's somebody I like, it's too easy now to you know hop on Instagram real quick and search that person and give them the follow so I can like figure out what else they're doing or just like quickly search in my Spotify or Apple music. Like, Oh, who's Chester Watson and like add his other music real quick to, to check out or, you know, some of these other people. Yeah. I mean that, that album, I, I really modeled it after, um, after the JD J Dilla, um, welcome to Detroit album. Like I, you know, that's one of my favorites, my favorite albums of his discography. But I just remember listening to it for the first time, and I'm looking at the the back of the CD, and you know, like I I didn't know who seventy five percent of the people were at the time. You know, like I'm I'm listening to the song uh, "Come Get It." I go, who the hell is this guy? Was it LZ Elzai? Is that his name? <laughs> who the hell is this guy and you know and I, I come to find out that he's literally one of the best rappers alive you know you know like do i come across him if i don't listen to that record maybe probably but but i heard it when i heard it and you know one of the first things that i did after hearing that record was googling like i, I need to find out more about this guy because he like he's incredible and 
you know, and there, and really at the time there wasn't, there wasn't much on him. Like a lot of the people on that record were, I don't want to say unknown because I mean, I know that there's folks in like Detroit who knew who a lot of those guys were, but as far as I was concerned, I didn't know who a lot of those people were. And, you know, you find them, you discover them, and then you kind of grow with them. And that's, you know, I, I, I don't know if that was, you know, Dilla's master plan um, when he did that record, but if it was, it worked. And, you know, and that sort of philosophy is, uh, is exactly what I was going for. Yeah. As far as your discography, is there a point where you kind of recognize that you've kind of really developed your own unique sound? Because so many artists, you know, from the get go are just kind of imitating the, the people that have inspired them. So is there, is there one that stands out to you of like, Oh, this is when I was like really like feeling what I was doing. Um, not to say there's a bunch of stuff out that you that you don't care about, but I mean, there's, I mean, every every album I've done has a uh, it has a unique story behind it as far as where I was in life and and you know kind of what it meant to me, um, you know, some more obvious than others, but I think like I did an EP in two thousand and. 13 i want to say um called parallel um so i think that was well the title track um you know is probably one of like my biggest songs well solo songs anyway like to date and you know and that's one of the songs that i mean i get tagged in on like instagram every every other day um, where folks are using it in like dance competitions and stuff like that. And, and just, and kind of at the time, you know, like when the subject of my music and my career came up, you know, like it was a very easy thing to kind of just put someone in the, oh, okay, well, he's, he's just a, a Dilla clone or he's just trying to copy Mad Lib which you know I, I always thought were were very disingenuous takes i mean in that like look like if you listen to, if you listen to any of my music you can probably make a pretty educated guess as to who my you know who's in my my top five influences you know like this is like this isn't this isn't rocket science right so yes you can there's certainly traces and elements of, of, you know, of JD, of Madlib, of Pete Rock and RZA, you know, there's, there's trace elements in, in all of them um, that you can, you can catch in my music and, and I'm proud of it. But, um, but I think around the time I did that parallel record, um, at least, I've been told that that I have a, a particular signature sound. I mean, I, I I don't know how to define it, but apparently, some folks can tell it's me just just by hearing some of my songs. Um, and that's 
and that's cool, but it, it's a tough thing to do. You know, there's millions of, of producers out there, many of which who have flipped like some of the same samples and and are influenced by many of the same people in all corners of the world. So, you know, being able to stand out in any capacity is a is a victory in and of itself. Yeah, man. I think one of the things I really just dig overall about your productions is just kind of the balance it seems between like electronic based instruments and some of the more acoustic sounding ones, whether you're like sampling those or not, like just some of the keys choices that you use, like the pianos and using that with some of the more electronic stuff or like using, you know, a drum machine but also like finding something that like sampling like some some real toms or something it sounds like from time to time it just seems like there's like those authentic instrumentation exists in the in the productions just as much as the the electronic stuff i mean it's it's a journey like i came up um you know, I came up primarily just on, you know, I guess what we refer to as like classic boom bap. And I was more than happy just doing that. And then when I, you know, when I came across the, you know, like all these German and French producers who were, you know, a little more experimental with, uh, with their sound. Um, and, and at some point, um, you know, I guess once I started to travel a little bit and, and, you know, in Los Angeles in particular, um, I guess it's kind of what I like to call the, uh, the beat scene Mecca, yeah, so man. to speak. And, you know, and just, and just the way that experiment experimentation is, um, is, is, uh, so what I'm looking for like it's emphasized and it's uh, and people really appreciate it there and, and kind of just through it all, you sort of come to realize as producers, just the general crossover between um, just instrumental music, whether it's hip hop to electro to dance to uh, EDM and techno and everything like there's, there's so much overlap and you know like so many of my my friends you know um reside in so many different lanes beyond what i personally do but you know you take you kind of take elements of what you like about about stuff that you're not normally catered to so i went from a producer who you know, only went into the crates and would only use the drum brakes and so forth to okay, like, hey, man, like some of these weird synths sound really, really cool. And if I can figure out a way to fuse them with with some of the sampling and stuff that I do, and hey, like the like I really like the way these Rhodes chords sound and hey, like the like the way that Flying Lotus has like eight different sets of percussion and some of his joints is really, really cool. And yeah, why, why can't I have like some Tom rolls and why can't I, why can't I do anything, you know? So 
you know, it, I guess part of it sort of, you know, throwing everything against the wall and seeing, and seeing what sticks, you know, and trying not to fall into the trap of overproducing and, and doing too much. But, you know, at this point, I've kind of found the balance between, you know, the the stuff that I I sort of grew up on, some new ideas and sounds that that I sort of discovered and 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 like to use nowadays and you know just finding that balance that that suits me yeah I think about uh sleight of hand on bedtime stories just some of the I I really love the percussion on that song and there's there's some tom rolls in that one little fills and uh but then also the bass line I like the way you place things with that one um some of those tones like the bass tones feel like kind of aggressive at times it's like and uh yeah just the, i like the, the texture that adds record and I was listening to uh, uh, Onra and uh, and and even like one of Ivan Atticula's song where he um, like it's a like it's a, it's a, a slap bass on it and I kind of just stopped and thought for a second like man like I've I've never I've never done that in a in a beat before like that that would be that'd be really dope and you know, kind of the the idea of the beat sort of takes on an, a new life of its own as you're making it. So, you know, the idea that was originally in my head really just morphed and, and evolved in eight different directions until it ended up being what it what it was. But but that's but that's the beautiful thing because frankly, it ended up coming out way different than than I initially thought or expected. Um, and, and it came for the better. Um, that was actually me sort of singing those vocals, um, during like some stretches in there. Hell yeah. Um, so, you know, and I've, and that's not something that I ever do, but you know, I was just kind of like, well, why the fuck not? You know? Absolutely. Um, and as far as like some of that other instrumentation, is that stuff you're all, you're, um, like maybe mimicking on on a synth of some sort or are you like ever like actually throwing down a bass line on a bass or i mean uh i mean everything for the most part um like if it's not if it's not a sample that i found you know it's uh it's one of the bevy virtual vsts um that i that i've come across 
Um, I mean, I recently bought like a real bass guitar and I'm looking forward to, I guess, getting good at it that I can actually use it in some of my songs. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, um, it's funny, the, the debate comes up often, like on Twitter and so forth about, um, you know, like flipping samples versus actually like, like writing and playing like all your own music. And I'm not going to get into that argument because frankly, it's, it's ludicrous. Um, like, like make beats however you want to. That's the important thing. But, you know, it is always a fun challenge to uh, to try to like compose something from from scratch. And, and whenever I, and I kind of thought like, well, why, why do one versus the other, you know? So the sleight of hand song in particular, like it's got one really tiny sample in it. And then like, I just, I just built everything around it, like from the keys and the bass and the, the synths and, and every, all the percussion and everything, like were all things that, um, that I, I arranged myself instead of just kind of using a loop from a sound pack or something like that. Um, so, you know, you can kind of get the best of both worlds, you know, you can morph a sound and, and just be in control of just about every element of it. Yeah. When you're making a record, will you ever set certain creative, uh, parameters to ever, to just kind of force different approaches? Um, no, I mean, not, not lately. Um, I mean, if I set a parameter for myself, it's usually something, something more based on time. Like, hey, uh, this remix that you promised this guy two months ago is due in a week. Yeah. So, so quit fucking around and get this shit done today before you go to sleep <laughs> or something like that. Which, you know, when, when you give yourself a deadline or a time limit, I mean, you, you kind of are forced to cut out a lot of the, you know, sitting in the room in the studio, just pondering, well, what if I do this or trying to figure out how, like what more to add instead of just, you know, forcing some finality to, yeah. to whatever you're working on. But other than that, you know, I've never really, unless it's like a sample challenge or something where, you know, I've, I've, uh, I've signed up for, for some of them in the past where maybe the rule is here's the sample, you have to flip it and you can't use any other synths or something like that. But if it's just a record that I'm doing for my own projects, you know, like why, why put a, I mean, other than maybe a deadline, why put a limit on it? Right. Um, yeah, I would imagine the deadlines and the timing thing is important going back to what you were talking about earlier, as far as, you know, a producer knowing when a song is done, cause you can just keep going back and making those tedious tweaks forever thinking that it's not complete. I mean, I've, I mean, I've got songs like sitting in my DAW that, you know, that I, I started in like 2018 that 
you know, I might just add a couple things here and there. And then I'm like, ah, whatever, this beats trash. And then I'll, I'll save it, forget about it, and then come back to it four months later. I'm like, okay, this was, this was pretty dope. I don't know why I didn't finish it, but okay, let me add a few more things to it. And then the same thing happens again. So, you know, I guess, um, but I guess when, you know, like I'm someone who, like I need to have a, a deadline or, or otherwise like, you know, the, the song will, will never, will, will never leave the system. Like bedtime stories, you know, like all of those songs I, I made for the most part kind of at the beginning of the pandemic and, and I kind of just sat on for like two or three months you know, just trying to decide what, well, what else do I do the, to the song? How do I make it better? And then, you know, I think, um, you know, Bandcamp, uh, Bandcamp Day was was coming up and it's like, okay, well, Bandcamp are waiving their, waiving their fees on this particular day. Hey, that's a, that's a good idea to, a good time to, to drop it so I can take advantage of, a all of the extra money that I'll that I'll get from it, and you know, if I don't have this excuse, you might not have even heard it to this day because I'm I'm terrible at I'm terrible at just releasing things, you know. Like I I never like I I, I never create anything that I don't have a plan for, I guess, in the scope of like a project or an EP or an LP or something like that. But sometimes it's kind of just, okay, I I need to just finish it, submit it and put it out so then I can, I can move on to the next thing. Because at one point that particular record was sort of holding me hostage where it's like, I'm not ready to do anything else until I get this fucking record done so yeah and as far as like collections of tunes um like do you can did you compose all of those tunes knowing that they were going to be on bedtime stories or is like do some of those songs like have existed for a while in your in your library and you've just gone back to them well that particular record i mean all of those songs were like were, were made during the pandemic okay you know now at the at the time and by the pandemic you know it really at least where i live like the the lockdowns and when they sent us home from work and and all that that was like towards the end of march yeah so basically it's like okay i've 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 got all this extra time that I didn't have before. I mean, I was always complaining about how, you know, work life was sort of ruining my, my creative, you know, my creative drive. So it's like, okay, I've got all this excess time. The plan was, okay, just create, you know, like I don't like, it's been years since I made a beat just to make a beat instead of, you know, something I'm commissioned to do or a project that I've already signed on doing. So it was literally, you know, I was trying to just, I was trying to make like five beats a day, every day, as much as I could, just the crux of it in, 
move on to the next one and try to, and kind of the plan was just to stockpile as many beats as I could because I mean, the, the idea or the thinking was, well, this pandemic's only gonna last a few months, right? So yeah. whatever, I'm sure it's, it's April now. So whatever, I'm sure by August or September, everything will be all back to normal, right? Well, no, it didn't really work out that way. But, you know, so I was just, I was just making beats and, and I made, I made a song, um, which ended up being the, the year one song on the record. Um, and then I made another beat, which ended up being the for you anything one. And so I kind of just knew right then and there, like, yo, look, these two songs are like, like I, I, I did something special with these two. And, you know, like there's, like I'm thinking to myself, like there's no way that I'm, I'm going to give these to a rapper or give them to a singer or something like these, like these are like, these are perfect, perfect songs for like a, an album. Um, and, and then I made another one, uh, which I think ended up being like the, the sleight of hand one. And, you know, before I knew it, like, okay, I've got three songs that would be perfect for a record. So you know, because the original plan was kind of, yeah, stockpile these beats. Maybe I'll just, you know, throw some acapellas and put out like a remix tape or something. But it's like, you know, I've got these three songs that I really like. I have personal attachment to them um, for, you know, just based on how I was feeling emotionally at the time that I made them, um, you know, like, I can kind of tell a, a neat story. All I really need is, you know, all I really need is like two more songs. I can I can put this thing out, and that kind of turned into like four songs. But you know, before I knew it, I had these I had these six or seven songs that I knew I wanted uh, wanted to feature on a project. So now I'm kind of like, okay, well, do I? call herbnet and put this out do i do i hit up mellow music and see if they'd be interested do i hit up how what and where do i do i send these over to, to chill hop or any of the the other labels who i i have relationships with and i was kind of like well the funny thing was that um at the the band camp day in uh in july like the prior month you know like I'm, I'm just going through twitter and everyone is posting up their their albums and everything and a few of them are flexing on instagram and posting about you know like my record uh my record made the top five on on the Bandcamp sale list and this person made thousand dollars that day and this person made how many hundreds and this person you know and you know and i'm i'm not getting any of these like bandcamp emails so i'm thinking like well like man like do people just not fuck with me or or what's going on and and i and i'm just looking through my own bandcamp discography and i realized like literally like the last like 8 years worth of projects i've been doing 
like they've all been through through labels you know like through mellow music for the last two yeah. i did the baker's dozen through fat beats i did worst case scenario and uh, and less is more and and all the others through Urbnet. I've got a grip through how, what, and where. I mean, I've done two or three on still music. Like, it's like I have to literally go back to like 2010, 2011, as far as the last time I released anything that I self released anything with no, no label backing. So I kind of saw that as a, I kind of saw that as a challenge of, you know what? I, I don't know how relevant I am. And what I mean by that is, you know, I don't know. I guess I, I don't know how, I guess I don't know how deep my, my fan base is. Like, do people know me because of my connections to, to Mellow and, and everyone else or people, or do people really fuck with me? You know? Yeah. So I kind of decided there, okay, well, this this will make for a great experiment, you know. So I don't know how well it'll go, but I'll be able to sort of answer the question and you know kind of go from there. So you know, I I spent the thirty bucks and I got a DistroKid account, and you know I threw it on streams, I threw it on on Bandcamp, and intentionally I I didn't. I didn't advertise it. I didn't, um, I didn't tell anyone in advance that it was coming only like five, only like five of my homies. I let listen to it before I dropped it. And, you know, and, you know, I didn't, you know, like since I sent it off, uh, to distro kids, like so early before, uh, before it came out, I knew it wasn't going to get playlisted, you know, like I didn't, I didn't bother sending it to, you know, like the fader pitchfork. Yeah. Or you weren't doing any PR work for it or anything. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not spending any money doing PR. It's like, let me just, let's just see how, you know, how folks embrace the music on just pure word of mouth and nothing else, you know? So, you know, I paid for the, like for the album cover and that was basically it, you know? And so right, I got a cool cover. I've got songs I really like, you know, I just went on Twitter and I posted it even just the Bandcamp link and, you know, no explanation, just nothing. And kind of just, you know, let, let it go where it, where it did. And kind of to my surprise you know like a, a lot of people bought it and a lot of people streamed it and and you know and it's kind of one thing to have that that insecurity or that fear that you know that you're not really as relevant as you think you are mm. and that and that you you need you know mellow to you know, for anyone to, to care or give a shit about what you do. Right. And that's not a knock on, and that's not a knock on mellow. Like I, I love those guys to death and I look forward to working with, uh, with them again. Um, but this was kind of just something for me because at the time I was feeling very, 
was feeling very insecure just about, um, you know, just my place in the lexicon of music, yeah. so to speak. And, you know, and, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to bullshit you and say that, you know, my, my album went platinum <laughs> with no features. Like I'm not, like not on no J Cole shit, but, <laughs> but, it, but it was, but it was really, uh, it was really encouraging, you know, just, just to know for myself. And again, you know, I might do another one and maybe nobody, nobody buys it or no one gravitates to it because they, you know, like because people don't know about it or so forth but it was just it was important for me just to to know that um like that i i that i'm more than just who i'm affiliated with yeah so so on that sort of level um that's one of my favorite projects um just because i had to take the proverbial leap of faith for it and that doesn't mean i'm never going to work with labels again like spoiler i will (laughs) um but uh you know but that one answered a lot of questions for me yeah i think that's fucking rad man to go ahead and like take that chance you know and and uh see who was really out there paying attention and just because you could have you could have like you said you could have reached out to all those people you people you have previous relationships with somebody was gonna you know help you put that record out but to to kind of go into the unknown and and you know get a new shift in perspective of like how many people are out there that actually you know care about your music and then also to just kind of see the impact is like even if you have a thousand people that are buying this record on Bandcamp day you know that's like that's pretty pretty all right if you're not putting any any money into you know making the record yeah i mean and it's like i'm not i'm not kanye west or beyonce you know like they like they're at that level of fame where like why would they like they don't even need to to do a pr campaign anymore right like you know beyonce can just stroll on twitter having not used it for months and just drop the the title link for you know for her record and you know and by the end of the day or by the end of the next day like it's going to be top 10 everywhere and and there's going to be people reviewing it on youtube and crying tears of joy at this new <laughs> piece, of, piece of art you know and you know and like i like i, I tell that story to some people and and folks are like well like well Sona, what are you talking about i mean you you have almost fifteen thousand followers on twitter and you've got almost that many on ig and you've got like fifty thousand on soundcloud and and you're verified you have a blue check mark <laughs> so that means so that means you're you're basically famous right and i'm like like no like none of that stuff means anything and you know social media is so ridden with you know sort of keeping up the appearances you know yeah. so so it so like i i genuinely don't know you know i can't like just because i have you know more followers than joe smith off of the street like that 
that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Like there are kids who, especially in the, in the lo-fi scene, like there's kids who, you know, have like 20 followers and on, on each platform and they, you know, they get booked to play shows and there's only eight people in attendance and stuff like that. But then you go on like their, their Spotify and they're, they're crushing it. They're doing like 20 million plays a month or, or whatever, you know? And inversely, there's, there are folks who, uh, you know, who have hundreds of thousands of, of followers on all their platforms and they're all verified and you look on their Twitter and like, fam, like you got 200,000 followers, but all of your tweets have like zero engagement. Right. 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 You know, and I'm looking at your SoundCloud or your, your SoundCloud or your Spotify and the numbers I'm seeing there don't match what I'm seeing everywhere else, you know? So yeah, they're, you know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of smoke and mirrors involved, and sometimes I feel a little guilty of it. Like if I if I post like a really nice press photo of myself, you know, like you know, some folks automatically, you know, think that you know I've I've got it better than I do, you know, so. So yeah, it's a, it's a genuine thing that at the time I did that record, I, I didn't know, you know, like I, I was emotionally preparing myself for the disappointment that I put this record out and, you know, I get five Bandcamp notifications and then that's it. And that's low key what I was expecting. So, you know, the, you know, the, 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 the people really made me a believer and kind of gave me a new a new zest new kind of just confidence that i i didn't have for for a long time a new fire in there to create some some more tunes now that being said you know whenever i do it again and it inevitably like fails miserably you know i guess we can have another podcast (laughs) where i where oh, I basically man. undo everything that I told you, but, <laughs> but for the, but for the time being, you know, that's, it, it was encouraging. And I try not to, at least lately, I've been trying really hard not to base my happiness and base success over, you know, over something that is so multifaceted and has so many different variables, you know, like if nobody buys my record, that doesn't that doesn't necessarily mean that the album's trash. It means that the marketing for it might have been trash, right? Um, right. And nobody nobody heard about it, or or I, you know, decided to put it out the same day that everyone is running to buy a new Madlib album right. or something. Right. You know, there's there's a ton of different reasons, or you know, or legitimately people might just not like it, you know, that that's, that's a real possibility that as an artist, I have to, I have to embrace that, you know, maybe I'm just not as good as I think that I am. Um, Spoiler, I am as good as I think I am, (laughs) but, um, 
but you know you just kind of have to be realistic about all these different scenarios and you can't sort of allow yourself to uh you can't allow yourself to always uh you know believe one outcome versus versus the other if if whatever it is it you know doesn't go the way that you expect yeah i love bedtime stories man it's cool because like forever is a pretty long time was like what introduced me to your your music you know but bedtime stories was the first time i get a fresh album from you that i where i know that you're mainly your 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 thing is to like make these instrumental based records and and then bedtime stories you know kind of became my favorite record of yours um i think about like one of my favorite moments on the record is the transition between once upon a time and year one, just how seamless that happens. And if you're not like paying attention to the track listing, you wouldn't even know that you're in a new jam. things with that record that I really, really focused on was, I guess it's, it's really hard in the instrumental medium to, to tell a story, you know, especially if there's no vocalist and to, to kind of do it for you. So, you know, all of the storytelling I can do is based on, I mean, the, the songs themselves, how they flow, how they how one leads into the into the next you know the 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 song titles and so forth i mean i you know i sort of like i told a little bit of a clever story um just through the song titles that you know i i I don't know how many people caught but 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 that that's cool um you know sometimes the like the the funnest thing about art is it's always open to interpretation. So, you know, whatever you get from, you know, from, from how the record feels, you know, if you resonate with it, perfect. That that's awesome. You know, like the story that it means for me is a very personal one, but I, but I just want someone to, to take something away from it you know and yeah and one of the things that was really important to me was just the way that every song flowed into the next you know i didn't want i didn't want everything to feel too abrupt you know um i was especially happy with that that transition in particular um so good because it's you know the, the the songs are relatively close in terms of the bpm and you know had track two have been sleight of hand, it, it, it wouldn't have worked, you know? So, so yeah, between that and some of the, you know, the, the, the Kill Bill 
uh, sample skits that I put at the end of a few songs and so forth, you know, like, you know, all of, all of it was by design. And, you know, when people tell you how, how good your record is, you know, you always appreciate it, but it always hits different when someone is like, yo, like, I, I really like the way that that song flows or, like, dude, like you, you I, I know why you called that song your one. <laughs> That's, for, you know, oh, yeah. sprinkle a little like Easter eggs in your shit and people like figure out, figure it out. You know, that's like, those are always, those are always uh, gratifying moments. For sure, man. Yeah. Um, as far as, uh, you know, albums, sequencing, things of that nature, like what are your, what are some of your like gold standard albums that have like informed the way you make records? Like when you think about seamlessness and listening to a record front to back, just those masterpiece records. And just in terms of sequencing, I mean, like, uh, like Mad Lib records are always, are always great for that. Um, especially like the, the movie scenes series, um, cause yeah, I mean, he kind of, I mean, at the end of it, like he ran with a concept of like, yo, like this, this movie scenes one and two is basically the OST, the soundtrack of an, of an imaginary movie in my head. And, you know, it's not just, you know, beat starts here, beat ends here onto the next you know, there's there's all these like clever, clever skits and um, and samples and things like that in between a number of the songs that you know that sort of that uh, uh, that really helps in the immersion. That yo, I'm really listening to like a, a soundtrack. You know, uh, Dilla records are the same. You know. Uh, welcome to Detroit. I mean, the way that you know, like the the the, the samples and, and skits in between in between songs. It's it's really it's really special how you know how he, how he does it. But I mean, I I can go on for days. I mean, Tribe Call Quest Roy's great for that. I mean, you know, just I just anything beyond just a simple track one, track two, track three, track four. And, and I'm not even saying there's anything wrong with it, but a lot of my favorite records, like you can tell they really took some time to figure out how how is track one going to bleed into track two? How is track two going to bleed into track three? I mean, many, many albums nowadays have kind of abandoned like the skit as a you know as sort of a, a musical literary tool which i really hope starts to make more of a comeback because they really you know create the the atmosphere and the immersion that, yeah, that yeah. makes uh that makes an that makes an album great versus kind of just a collection of songs or a compilation yeah for sure um yeah, I don't know. I I definitely uh it that comes across that that's in like important in your records for sure. Just the <clears throat> how they flow 
from you know one to another and and telling the story i spend uh yeah like i spend probably too much time just trying to figure out you know like making the beats themselves is like not to say it's easy but out of the whole process of album construction like making the beat itself is the easy part but you know figuring out the most impactful way to uh to to place it from not just like the track ordering but the track titles and and how one blends into the next like there there's a whole science in in it and you know it oftentimes can be the difference between a good record and a great one yeah you know absolutely just, just like the, it's always the little things the little things that make that make it special for sure um it's funny i've been uh i've been asking some people um some music creators just kind of whether or not they're they're taking into account this whole situation of like when you're listening to things often on a streaming service like apple or spotify if you have it set a certain way that record just when it's over it hits repeat to that that first track so now there's kind of like this new transition almost that that can be accounted for of like how does this record sound when it like goes from the last song to the first song honestly that's that's one of the uh that's one of that's one of the tough things because um I really, and not just speaking on like my music, but just for my own personal enjoyment of the music I listen to, you know, I'm a big, big fan of the front to back listen. Yeah. So, you know, when, when I, when I get like, I, I bought the new Mad Lib album um, yesterday and, you know, and I, I did a quick skim through just to confirm that it's amazing and it definitely sound sounds it. But, you know, but I'm, I'm, I'm especially looking forward to doing the commute somewhere or maybe I'm driving to Toronto or driving somewhere where I can sit down and give it a full uninterrupted front to back listen. Um, Cause I mean, I, and maybe cause I'm too close to the process now. Um, you know, I feel like when people put out albums, like full albums or EPs, that I would I'd like to assume that they're meant for the front to back listen. Right. So when I'm putting like skits and and putting like narrative links between songs in my records, you know, it's it's kind of shitty that I have to sort of factor in that well and most people who hear this one particular song are hearing it in isolation in the middle of an uh, of a playlist full of songs right. that have nothing to do with it so you know there's nothing really i can do about that you know i would rather someone listen to it um outside of the scheme of the the, the record that it's within rather than not listen to it at all so, so, you know, I, so whatever, if it means that, you know, the song, the standalone song feels a little disjointed, that's just, that's just the risk I'm going to have to take. 
but I always try to encourage anyone whenever I put out a record, you know, like if you read the band camp notes of uh, bedtime stories, you know, like I, like I say, play this at night, you know, like I have a, an, an atmosphere yeah, um, yeah. That's, that, that, it, that it's built for. And, you know, it's a short record. It's only seven songs and I think that's like 16 minutes of runtime. So it's a relatively quick listen so I would hope that everyone, for the most part, gave it a front-to-back listen. But just judging by the Spotify or the, the analytics, um, clearly there's one or two songs that have noticeably more plays than than the others. So, right. so whatever. So it's so certainly um, not everyone gave it the front-to-back listen, and that's fine if they enjoyed the one song, and so be it. But you know, I, it's kind of like an Easter egg, you know, you're, you're rewarded for, for giving it the, the full listen with, uh, you know, with the, 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 the ideal experience, you know, it's like when you play a video game, you know, you can kind of just do the, the main, the main quest just to beat the game and then take the disc out never to play it again. But, you know, if you go through the trouble of doing the side quests and taking the scenic routes in the game, um, you know, you're, you're rewarded with like the additional content or maybe the extra story tidbits that make your experience better. Yeah, so, for sure. That, that's kind of how I like to, to fancy it. Yeah, man. It's just the idea of, you know, the experience is the whole thing and you know, those, all the pieces set up context for other things, especially in a record too, when it's intentfully made that way. Yeah. But I, I guess there's also a little bit of a beauty in in just knowing that out of any given record that, you know, everyone's, everyone's not going to get it, so to speak, but you know, for everyone who, who does, it sort of makes that experience a little more special. So it's kind of like, you know, everybody, everyone loves to, you know, to have the, you know, something deemed as exclusive or something that, you know, only you were smart enough to, to pick up on, um, you know, and, you know, and folks can debate, debate about, like, especially in movies, you know, like you can, you can go watch The Matrix or Fight Club and, and, and enjoy it. But, you know, there's going to be the folks who watch it really, really closely um, or maybe even watch it a second or a third time. And they're going to pick up all those little things that 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 everyone else didn't. Yeah. And, and now now you're the smartest guy in the room. <laughs> and, when you get to, and then when you have those conversations with folks and you're explaining, no, 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 uh, the reason they did x's to set up y and then everyone else is like oh shit yeah you're right man i gotta go rewatch it again you know so you know i, I guess there's a magic in and leaving things in your art medium that leaves people wanting to revisit it again you know yeah for sure i definitely i mean yeah everybody absorbs things differently but i think definitely when i'm 
when I'm listening to your music, you know, even though I listen to bedtime stories probably like three or four times in full today before we had this conversation, like each time I'm picking up on a new piece, you know? Thank you. Thank you. And I mean, my, my songs, like, like I try to, I try to fill a lot of like beyond, you know, some of the, you know, some of the, 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 the narrative hooks between the songs, you know, every record, even some of the more simplistic and nature ones have usually a lot of really, really subtle things happening. Um, so usually, um, so a lot of the times other producers kind of pick up on some of those things because, you know, in making beats and understanding the, the process of making music, you know, sometimes they like, you know, like they pick up on some of, some of the subtle things, but really any excuse to get someone to, to give it a second or a third listen, then, you know, my, my master plan succeeded Hell yeah. because, you know, the one thing you never want is someone, whether they really liked it or not, is to listen to it once and then kind of just be done with it. Right. Because that means that that the record wasn't impactful or nothing about it particularly grabbed you. Yeah, it didn't have any elements of, of timelessness where you want to go back even two years later and listen to it again as if it just came out. Yeah, I mean, all of my favorites, all of my favorite records, I've... I've listened to dozens and dozens of times right? Um, at, at various points, you know, and the records that I have in my iTunes that I listened to it once and it just didn't really do anything for me. Yeah. While I can still acknowledge like it's a fine record. It's like, well, sorry, delete. You know? <laughs> so, but you know, art, art is subjective. So, you know, what you might listen to and appreciate in the records causing you to re-listen to it a second, third, or fourth time, maybe that does nothing for someone else and and that and that's okay. Yeah. But but yeah, you know, you just try to, you know, you just try to do the best you can with your art and kind of do everything you can to express yourself i mean as cliche as it is you know music is always self-expression you know just try to be as honest as you can and just hope that that people kind of see your vision the way that you do yeah man well uh your music hooked me in right away man and been a fan since stumbling upon it last year so i really really fucking appreciate you taking so much time and giving me the opportunity to, to chat with you about your musical beginnings and where you come from on that end. And, and just kind of how, how your career and your, your process has developed over time. I I appreciate it, man. And thank you for, uh, thank you for having me. I mean, this is definitely, uh, definitely one of the more, uh, more fun, um, podcasts I've had, um, Usually most of the interviews and pods that I do usually end up kind of in the same sort of, uh, it's like, well, name, name your top fives. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like, man, I've, 
like like you can go on Google and find my top five. I hear but, you. but you know, to you know, to actually sort of have a more in depth, enriched um, discussion, you know, that's uh, that's always the stuff that I that I love to do, whether it's a whether it's about me directly or another topic at hand, that's, that, that's always fun to not have to essentially answer the same question. Well, I appreciate that, dude. Like I, I really do my best with this to only have people on that. I genuinely like fuck with and have an interest in. So it's kind of easy to like really dive into the music and, um, right. you know, and have some, some things like hopefully, you know, I'm not referring to my notes the whole conversation if possible, but it's nice to, you know, have some reference points for things and um No, it came out it came out natural and that's really that's really all that I can ask for. Yeah. Because I mean you can you can always you can tell, you know, when someone's kind of just going through the going through the notes. Yeah. And and you know, and you 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 might have been going through through bullet points, but from from my perspective it, it never felt like it cool man well i appreciate that and uh yeah i also i think it's like important to me you know you you give me almost two hours of your time tonight it's important to me for you to know that i like i listen to your music you know i didn't just ask you to be here because i saw you on a blog or some shit you know so um thank you for your your time and i'll i'll certainly put all the links in the uh the episode notes i feel like i could talk with you for another couple hours about things so you're welcome to you got an open invite to the dan cable presents podcast dude appreciate that man and and, uh you know i've got um let's just say that i I got a number of things in, in the works um for you know the rest of the year and beyond um you know most of which i can't really speak on now because it's the, the 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 plan is still being formed but uh you know once things sort of come to fruition yeah i'd definitely love to, to come back and, and chat some more hell yeah let's do it man um we end every episode of the podcast with the guest saying the tagline for the show which is it's a program so if we could get the eloquence it's a program we can uh properly end this thing it's a program uh program <laughs> program gotcha <laughs> just how my grandfather says the news program uh, okay it's gotcha, just it, gotcha, it means gotcha. it means absolutely nothing it's just some goofy way to to end our our end our chat you know oh but that's dope though i mean you know it's like like nardwar doing like the doot doot shit you know like it, it i mean it it doesn't mean anything but it's it's the perfect sort of you know sign off yeah man like all all i don't know a couple of the podcasts that kind of inspired me to start this thing five years ago or so you know had those those taglines of the show so those are my influences kind of bleeding through a little bit into mine Uh, definitely definitely (laughs) so you said this is the program uh it's a program it's a program okay what up this is eloquent I uh, reference that gill breathing and yo, it's a program. He nailed it, everybody. That's eloquence. Um, I thought it would be fitting if we uh, played the episode out with one of my favorite tracks off Bedtime Stories, and it's called The End. 
Thank you for having me. Absolutely, man. Uh, that's the Jelly Jams, and we will uh, catch you on the flip side, Portland or Ontario or wherever you're listening from. Peace.